What's going on, everyone, and welcome into another edition of B Shave Daily. I'm Brendan Schaefer alongside you here, breaking down some Cardinals baseball once again, and we're going to have a more cheerful conversation, I believe, than what we had going last night when we talked about the Cardinals essentially struggling in every element of the game that you could possibly fathom. Starting pitching wasn't getting it done, the bullpen wasn't getting it done, and the offense was not producing. That's not the case today, and it's mostly thanks to the effort of the Cardinals' bats tonight. They're the real reason we're supplying a lot of goodwill on this episode of B-Shape Daily. The Cardinals explode for 14 runs against Steven Strasburg and the Washington Nationals, and they take down the Walgreens squad 14-3 to in a game the Cardinals really needed. And, you know, they needed it as a team, but they needed it, I think, on some individual levels as a couple Cardinals were able to produce offensively that had been struggling to relative degrees so far this season. One of them, you know exactly who I'm talking about, but we'll save the conversation about Matt Carpenter for just a little bit because I'm going to get into it. You know I've got to. I hope Cardinals Nation as a whole is as happy for Carpenter as the people in the building were tonight because the curtain call was something special to witness. But let's start at the beginning of the game and talk about what I thought was kind of going to be the story of the game before Matt Carpenter unloaded his home run. And that's Paul Goldschmidt coming to life because he was the first Cardinal to get things going with a home run in the bottom of the first inning. First pitch he saw, he drove it out to left field. And that was great to see from Goldie because before this season, even with the addition of Nolan Arenado, Goldschmidt was my Cardinals MVP prediction. And he's gotten off to a little bit of a slow start, but... This is a guy that knows how to catch fire, and when he gets things going, it can happen in a hurry. And tonight he had one of those games, goes two for four, a couple of runs scored, three runs driven in, and ups the season batting average to two fifty six. The OPS still a little bit low at six seventy six, but we're only 11 games into the season. There's plenty of time for Paul Goldschmidt to have a few more games like that, and suddenly he's on his traditional all-star pace. But what was cool was... Tonight was, if my research is correct, which at first it wasn't when I tweeted it out because I said that this occurrence took place for the first time since September 1st of 2015, and then I had to be corrected because I didn't search playoff stats as well, so I missed one. But Paul Goldschmidt and then your boy, Nolan Arenado, he goes deep as well. The duo does it for the first time in the same game since the wildcard game and a wild card game in 2017 because that was Rockies against the Diamondbacks. Both guys anchoring their respective lineup at that point in time in the NL West. Good rivalry, and they end up going deep in that game. And they did it once again back in 2015, the second game of a September 1st doubleheader. But tonight they do it for the first time as teammates, and it was something I kind of referenced right after Goldie's shot because I thought, man, I know it's a hard thing to do, in general, in baseball to go back-to-back. But if ever there were a duo that you know is going to be hitting one after the other in the lineup, at some point Mike Schilt could switch that up and maybe flip-flop the order on those guys. Probably not, though. I think what they've got going is what's going to be what works for them, even if it ends up being 3-4 with Goldie Arenado instead of 2-3. But I figure these two are going to be next to each other in the same lineup for a while now. They're bound to get some back-to-back chances, right? And Goldschmidt got his. Arenado came up a little bit short, got under it a little bit, uh, gave it a ride to left field, but didn't get the homer. 
But on his next at-bat, he did. And so those guys both hit home runs in the same game for the same team. And I wonder how many times that's going to happen this year. Probably more than one, if I had to guess. And it's just, you you just kind of want to be a little careful in allowing your imagination to run away, which maybe not. Maybe you enjoy that and you just want to think about the craziness that could be these two in the middle of a lineup. You know, and maybe that's just the way you are because, listen, to me, Nolan Arenado being on the Cardinals was crazy at one point in time, right? Like, if you would go back and search some of my tweets talking about it and making uh, kind of poking fun at the idea when people suggest, yeah, sure, the Cardinals are going to get Goldsmith and Arenado. That's going to happen. Well, it has happened. And so maybe you're the the type who believed that it could be, believed that it could come to fruition. And so now you want to think about what would it look like if these two were rolling at the same time for like a prolonged period, you know, like a two-week stretch in the middle of July or something where these guys just go bonkers together as a dynamic duo. That could be really fun to watch if that comes to fruition at some point in time for the Cardinals this summer. But the thing of it is both guys don't have to be rolling at the same time. You're not going to see too often prolonged slumps for either guy. Uh, Arenado had that 0 for 4 yesterday with three strikeouts, and that was kind of an aberration. And then the next night he's like, okay, I don't know what that was, but I'm going to I'm gonna bring it back tonight, going to hit the home run, going to hit several balls hard, ends up having a 2 for 3 day, 2 runs scored, 3 ribbies, and a walk. He was walked intentionally at one point to load the bases, uh, for the cleanup hitter, Paul DeYoung, who did not clean up again in that situation. But listen, it's a positive night for the Cardinals, right? Let's talk about the positives. And so we're going to get into that now. The biggest positive of the night has got to be Matt Carpenter finally getting on the board with his first home run of the season, his first hit to leave the infield of the season. And it was an absolutely epic moonshot down the right field line. Classic Matt Carpenter swing where it's up in the air for so long, it just felt like it was hanging there and hanging there. And the whole stadium is waiting to see what's going to happen with this ball, kind of craning our necks to the right to see where it goes. And it catches the foul pole, man, and it goes back onto the field. The place goes berserk. The dugout is going berserk. Listen, there's only 13, 12,000 fans, whatever it was there tonight, but that place can still get pretty loud. And when it's motivated to do so, especially, and it was for Matt Carpenter, and people were questioning this on Twitter. Some people like, why would they do a curtain call if, if you do this curtain call you know, for everything? What does it really mean? you got to understand, this Matt Carpenter has been through some stuff dating back to the beginning of Grapefruit League play and really dating back several years, right? Like 2020 was a bad year for Matt Carpenter. 2019 wasn't a very good year for Matt Carpenter. And it's it's kind of been getting progressively worse for him at the plate. As you, as you date back to whenever the hot streak ended in 2018, where he, for like the middle three months of that season, was really, really good, had a bad September, and from there it's kind of just been a downward hill as he's tried to, whether it's fight off father time, you know, it, it, guys lose a step, guys lose speed on their bat speed at, at points in time when they get into their mid-30s, and so maybe Matt Carpenter just doesn't have it before like he used to, and that's certainly possible. Uh, I would certainly argue that is the it is the case. Tonight's home run doesn't necessarily change that. I think the the trajectory of his career is certainly not moving in the right direction. But the thing of it is, he's had a lot of hard hit balls this season, and Cardinals fans get tired of hearing about that when they don't 
see the results and they still see the triple zeros next to his batting average. But I'm sure Matt Carpenter got tired of it being the case. Paul Goldschmidt said tonight that he hasn't seen maybe in his entire life a series of hard luck like the hard luck that Matt Carpenter has faced up until tonight getting that ball to be a fair ball. Mike Schilt talking about, oh gosh, please stay fair, please stay fair. Everybody in the ballpark had the same thought at the same time for Matt Carpenter who, you know, before the game people were talking about him batting fifth again and Carlson can't get moved up and why is DeYoung still clean up? And I'm not trying to make, you know, make light of it or or suggest that fans aren't on to something a little bit with their with their complaints that they have about the lineup, but at some point in time the players are going to play and you're going to have to weed that out as the season goes along. I'm kind of of the position that I understand Mike Schilt's tendency to want to stick to what he's done in the past and guys that have come through for him in the past, like Paul DeYoung, like Matt Carpenter. And so just the way it is, do I agree with it? No, I'd have Carlson. I said it from opening day. I'd have Carlson batting number four in this Cardinals lineup, but that's not the way they're doing it right now. And so at the end of the day, though, I think Cardinals fans still want to see these guys thrive, right? You might not like the lineup, but when when Matt Carpenter hits that ball into deep right field, you're doing the Carlton Fisk just like everybody else, hoping that it's able to stay fair. And so Carpenter gets the homer. Like I said, everybody was going kind of nuts there. And then you could just kind of feel this groundswell that the emotion that was in this ballpark. Fans were not going to sit down or stop making noise until Matt Carpenter reemerged from that dugout. So that was going to be the curtain call. It was, you know, for Cardinals fans, you might scoff at it if you're if you're a fan base not in St. Louis, if you're fans of another team, you might, it, it, you think curtain call maybe for every once in a blue moon. Well, the Cardinals have done it twice in a homestand, and I don't know what else to say without trying to pat the fans on the back here in St. Louis too hard, other than to say, like, that's just the way it is in St. Louis. It wasn't surprising to me at all that Matt Carpenter was was going to get a curtain call for this situation. I would have been surprised if he hadn't, right? Because... Fans are making noise. The standing ovation had already started. I'm kind of looking around to see, you know, well, we're we going to see Carp come out here. And then as you hear the noise start to ratchet up, it's just 12,000. It wasn't a sellout crowd, I don't believe, for a Tuesday night in April. But they were making increased noise as it went along until they saw number 13 come back out of the dugout. So really cool and really cool for Matt Carpenter. Doesn't mean his season's going to be a wonderful one, but it was certainly a wonderful moment. Batting average now up to 111, it appears. OPS at 569, which is higher than Paul DeYoung. You know, now now we're the, the pressure certainly gets ratcheted up on the Cardinals starting shortstop, and that's something that I'm sure if he continues to struggle, we're going to be talking about, and we're going to be talking about ways that the Cardinals, you know, forget batting him cleanup. Can the Cardinals afford to keep playing him every day? Talk about who do you have as, a, as an alternative option. I mean... Paul DeYoung, when you, you go back a couple of years now, and I don't want to, to to say the exact moment in time from which this statistic remains true because I, I don't have it in front of me, but I would say over the last couple of years, it's plausible that he's been a below average hitter at the plate for going on a while now. You know, when you when you add it all up and just look at the, the raw numbers, he hasn't been able to be that guy in a little bit. You know, he finished really tough in 2019, I know, all of 2020 was really a struggle, and you go back to 2018. I know he's been a guy that's hit homers in the past, but the totality of his plate approach, and his OPS, and you know, 
the batting line was not what you'd want to see even from him in 2018, if I recall correctly. So for DeYoung, it's been a struggle. That doesn't mean he can't regain it, but certainly I think at some point in time, Mike Schultz might have to view him in a little bit of a different light than the one that he has. Um, is it Mundo Sosa, somebody that could take it bats? Maybe not. Tommy Edmond moving to short on occasion to keep Matt Carpenter in the lineup if he suddenly gets hot. You know, that could be something that happens. But really, and, and we can talk about that too, the idea that if we're living in fantasy land, what would it be like if Matt Carpenter kind of regained his stroke, right? Because he was a force. I think it's really easy for Cardinals fans to forget at this point in time the really, really quality years that he continued to stack one after another. Broke Stan Musial's doubles record the one single season, 60-some-odd doubles if I recall correctly. You know, Matt Carpenter was a ridiculous hitter on base force, could do it for power. He could do a little bit of everything. And it hasn't been going that way for him the last couple of years. But if he could even just kind of draw on that for occasions and and be able to to do it in a a more limited sample, because I don't think he ends up getting 500 plate appearances this season, not unless he really starts to turn it on. So it, it could end up being a deal where he's got to pick his spots. Maybe that keeps him a little fresher. You know, he's a guy that's always been a grinder, so I don't think he has any problem being in the lineup every day, and he would prefer it that way. But with the way this roster is constructed, maybe that's not the answer for him. But, you know, I, you can't take this moment away from him tonight. Can't take away the fact that he's been a, a great Cardinal for a really long time. And to me, I don't even think it's a, a question that this guy ends up in a red jacket, right? I saw on Twitter some people suggesting when I, I typed it out and said, this is a guy that's going to be in a red jacket someday. People say, nah, I don't know about that. I, I think so. I mean, I know it's the fans that ultimately get to vote on that, but look at the body of work of this guy's career and some of the memorable moments that he's had. I don't think there's any question about it. But that's a conversation for later on when he's you know, retired and eligible for that that notoriety. But for right now, it's just a conversation about what's this Cardinals lineup going to look like, you know? Because they scored 14 runs tonight, and that's great. That's not new, though. If you look over the course of the last couple of years and even already this season, that's the story of what the Cardinals kind of do. They don't very often score nine runs in one inning like they did in the fifth tonight. Just kept the line moving. Fourteen guys came to the plate. Nine runs scored. Obviously, the game was kind of broken open from there. It was already 5-1 to one entering that inning, and they, they turned it on. I mean, listen, when the Cardinals poured on, they poured on. I don't think there's ever been a question about that dating back several years for this team. But I want to see him score five and six runs more so than, you know, I mean, the 14s are nice. You're not going to lose a game very often if you're scoring 14. But I think the key for them over the course of a long season is going to be, as we've and we've talked about this, you got to turn those games where you score two or three or four into six. You got to go, you, you got to take advantage of your opportunities to the extent that you're able to, to at least get over that hump of four runs. Right, that's something that the Cardinals haven't always been able to do with consistency. And at the end of the year, their run total, even if it's still in the middle of the pack, even if it's not up in the top of the pack in the National League or the entirety of Major League Baseball, you're still looking at a team that, you know, how are they getting those runs? Are they having too many games where they're not winning because they're scoring between zero and three? Because that's kind of what the story's been for the Cardinals, and and it's been the case. You know, they they lost that game nine to five. They had one recent loss, I think, against the Brewers nine to five. But otherwise, it's it's a lot of the threes and the twos, and 
You know, they had a five to two, I believe was the score of yesterday's game. So you want to try to minimize those games where, look, five runs is not uh, what you want to give up if you're talking about from a, a pitching perspective. And we'll get to Jack Flaherty here in a minute, Cardinals starter on Tuesday night. You don't want to you don't want to give up five runs. You don't want to average that if you if if you're talking about your pitching staff. But if your pitching staff only gives up nine over or pardon me five over nine innings, that's still a winnable game. You know, as an offense, you'd like to be able to say, hey, if we can get it to three, get it to four, maybe make that push, get lucky, something happen, you're able to to be right in a ball game when you still give up five runs. But if you only score two, like the Cardinals did last night, it's not going to fly. So. It's all about consistency. They preach it. They talk about it. They aim for it. But it's it's a hard thing to acquire if you're the Cardinals over the last few years. And I don't know that they're going to suddenly turn into this consistent team. I don't think that's what a 14-run output tonight would suggest. But it it does show that they're capable. And I don't think capability has ever been the question. They, they put up these big games every now and again. They show what they can do. I think it's just about finding that mojo, being able to to produce and, and string good at-bats together one after another. They certainly did that tonight. I don't think there's any doubt that they can do it moving forward. When you've got these kind of names in the lineup that you do with Arnado, Goldschmidt, Tommy Edmonds off to a solid start, batting 292. You like that from the leadoff spot. Had the one home run, but not a lot of power, not a lot of extra on base either, but he did have a really nice night tonight because he goes two for five, scores two runs, but he also gets the walk. And that's something that I think the Cardinals would like to see him be able to take him when they're there. He doesn't have to, just because he's a leadoff hitter, he doesn't have to suddenly become Matt Carpenter and, and you know basically be looking for a walk. It seems like every time he gets into a two-ball count. But as the leadoff man, especially for a guy with his speed, could potentially take a base and, and suddenly you're in scoring position for Goldsmith Arenado, that's a great spot to be. So, you know, you like what you're seeing, though, I think, so far from Edmund. Uh, being able to have that average right below 300 and taking his walks when he can get him, that's going to be a key moving forward. DeYoung did have a couple of runs scored tonight and a base hit. Uh, score, had a walk as well. Trying to get those that batting line up there. He's 10 points lower than Matt Carpenter right now in terms of OPS. So kind of see how that goes along. Dylan Carlson, great night. Three for four, two runs, and a walk. So he's on base four times. The guy continues to have you know good plate approach. Hitting 243 for the year, I'll, I'll kind of rattle off batting averages because I, I think it people like to know, and, and if you don't, I don't know, just ignore that part. But the 854 OPS, that's really what I like to look at. In terms of like the simple batting line stats, batting average is probably the least most valuable in my opinion. You take OBP, take the slug, you add them together, OPS, okay. If you're in the 800s, that's pretty good. Cardinals certainly could have used guys, more guys in the 800s over the last couple of years. Carlson right now, 854. Does he end up at that? I'd say probably a little bit lower, but I say he he comes back down to earth a little bit by having a little higher batting average than 240, like he's at right now. Uh, and the power, you know, you certainly respect it and you love to see it, but I I don't know that he's going to be like a 30 home run guy necessarily. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe power is going to be that big of a a portion of his game, but I think in general he's going to continue to as he takes good at bats. Some of those hard-hit balls are going to find their way into be, becoming more singles. Obviously, he started his season with three home runs as his first three hits. I think his batting average was in the 100s at the time. So I don't know if he's going to be that kind of player. I think he'll be a little bit more balanced ultimately. But you got to love what you're seeing. He's making an impact on the game. He's doing a nice job defensively as well. Uh, speaking of which, Justin Williams, another guy who had a big game. Which Listen, if you score 14 runs, collect 15 hits, you're going to have a lot of guys to talk about with regards to big games at the plate 
But he goes two for four, three runs batted in, takes a walk as well. Cardinals walked seven times tonight, so they were all over the base paths, and it wasn't even just in that fifth inning. Mostly it was in that fifth inning, but they had good at-bats outside of that. When you score in multiple innings, that's the name of the game. Cardinals only needed to do it in three innings tonight, but uh, they got contributions from some big names, from some guys that you, you'd like to see maybe find more ways to do that more frequently, especially with regard to Carpenter. And he, you know the hit, the homer was the only hit he had tonight. So he's still at 111. I mentioned with the batting average, but uh, he did uh, end up scoring two runs, getting on base a second time. So you, you like what you see from these guys. Kisner had his first uh, start of the season, and and he reaches base three times, two walks and a base hit in lieu of Yadier Molina behind the plate. And I'm I'm sure it'll be Yadi tomorrow, and I believe that'll be his 2,000th game coming up as a Cardinal. Never happened for a catcher to do that with one team. He'll be behind the dish with his buddy, his brother, Adam Wainwright, on the mound as the Cardinals continue to see those two stack up uh, starts together as they etch their names into the history books. I don't think they'll ever be able to get up to the number one seed in that uh, in that regard because there's some some guys from way back when that, that had as battery mates more starts together, and I think it would take probably a couple more years for them to get to that point. But certainly, they're, I think they're already in the top five, and they're going to continue to climb the ranks as the rest of this season goes along, as, bo- as long as both guys stay healthy anyway. So look forward to that tomorrow. But before we kind of get out of here, I guess we should talk about the pitching a little bit. I did mention Jack Flaherty, Cardinals ace, presumptively uh, the starter tonight. It's interesting to watch Flaherty right now because he's kind of searching a little bit for the fastball command, and that's something that he talked about after the game on Zoom just early in the game, he didn't seem to have his most efficient stuff. And, I mean, sure, that seems like you're stating the obvious when a guy throws 70 pitches in three innings. That's just a number that I I know that Jack Flaherty wants to not see again for the rest of the season. But, like, it's a weird phenomenon when he's not giving up runs. Like, he's not pitching badly. He has six strikeouts tonight, only gives up three hits in five innings and allows one run. But, like... The efficiency is something that I think he's a guy who will pride himself upon because he wants to be doing what he did down the stretch in 2019 where he's going deep into games, regularly pitching seven innings, sometimes eight, sometimes maybe even nine in a perfect storm. But when you're going into as many deep counts as he has been, and tonight it was another example of that, It's I don't know that he's toying around. Like in his last start to me, The first few innings against the Marlins, which was his best start of the season, six innings, no runs, best start by any Cardinal start of the season. But it looked to me as that game was going along that he was basically kind of nibbling a little bit. And I know his stuff is out of this world. I can never imagine throwing a baseball and having it be manipulated and do the things that it does when it comes out of his hand. But it was like he was just magnetic zone around the strike zone where he's just having a lot of movement, not quite being able to get it in the spots that he wants it. And that leads to some deeper counts, and it leads to a pitch count that gets elevated before you're getting into the 5th, 6th, 7th inning. And tonight it was a situation where the, the pitch count was there. I think he threw 96 pitches, but nevertheless, Cardinals had bases loaded, nobody out. They bring in Austin Dean for as a pinch hitter in that spot, and he comes through, continues to keep the line moving. And by the end of that inning, there was no question as to who was going to win this game. So not saying that, you know, even had Flaherty had fewer pitches, that might have been a, a different scenario, and they try to get him into into maybe six, seven innings in this game. But in that situation, he's already gone five. 
Mike Schilt did allude to it that you want to get through five, especially when your your offense is doing that because you like to give the starter credit for the win. I know a lot of people out there will kind of roll their eyes when they hear that because that's not really a, something that I think a lot of as many outsider baseball fans care about as much these days when you talk about the lines for starting pitchers. But it really does feel good to look at his line, see 2-0 and for the season. He gets the win. He deserved it. He pitched well enough to win that game uh, even without the explosion by the offense. But efficiency is going to be the name of the game for him as he moves forward. He knows it. He said it's not going to happen again. The fastball command is just going to be there next time. So I, I think a confident guy doesn't overreact to anything. I mean, when you see him after bad starts, sometimes he'll tell you he was terrible. But I think he knows in his head what he's capable of doing and that as the season goes along, he's going to be able to get there. He wouldn't even necessarily say to you, and this has always been kind of my theory, that as he gets going in the season and falls into a rhythm because he was so far out of whack and out of rhythm last year because of circumstances outside of his control, I think that when he finds his rhythm this season, which it hasn't happened yet, and yet he's still being able to kind of grit through and and have quality outings, ERA's at 4.11, but a lot of that was because of the first start of the year uh, was a pretty bad one with regard to ERA. I think he gave up like six runs and four-plus innings. Last two outings, 11 combined innings, one run. So you're going to take that every time from Jack Flaherty. The ERA is going to continue to go down, and he's you're going to see it. He's going to hit his stride at some point, and it's going to be fun to watch when he does. Uh, it just hasn't happened yet, but I think it's on the way. And listen, if, if, if your offense scores 14 runs – it's a lot easier to be a little bit more peppy in the post game and say, look, I don't even want to talk about my pitching tonight. Let's talk about this offense because they got it done for him. No question about it. Talk about the bullpen a little bit. Hennessy Cabrera looked good, struck out Juan Soto. When he started doing this little strut, I'm sure you've noticed it watching Hennessy's pitch, but it's kind of like a little pivot slide rotation where he starts basically planting himself and faces the outfield uh, center field wall after after a strikeout kind of a cool little move dude's got some dude's got some juice on the mound there's no question about that and he looked good tonight good to see Cody Whitley get back out there especially because you know in a game like this you don't want to have to burn too many of your your number one arms haven't seen Alex Reyes in a while but it's just been because the series has not dictated his necessity to enter the game and there's no reason to bring him in a game like tonight just to get him some work. So I'm sure the next time the Cardinals are in a close game, Reyes is going to be out there, provided he's healthy. I don't, I, I shouldn't even say that. I have no reason to believe that he's not. But I just you look at the box scores of these games, been either a blowout on the upside or a blowout on the downside for the most part. Yesterday being the exception where it was a five to two game, but we've we've gone into detail in the podcast yesterday on why the pitching kind of lined up the way it did after John Gant left that game. But uh, we'll probably see Reyes again soon. Uh, but you like to have gotten to see Whitley tonight. Two innings, one strikeout, just one hit allowed, no runs. Uh, Ponce de Leon, should talk about him because he has moved to the bullpen as of this morning. And Mike Schultz said this morning, or earlier this afternoon, I should say, that he would be probably available out of the bullpen tonight. And I think no better spot to try to get him some work when you're up 14-1 to in the ninth. But it didn't go that well for him. I still throwing a lot of fastballs, but not able to command it the way he wants. Gave up a couple of walks, a couple of hits, and two earned runs in an inning of work. Did end up getting through the inning. They didn't, they started warming up Jordan Hicks, if I saw correctly, which is also not something you want to see in a 14-1 to or 14-3, to which it was at that time game. Want to save Hicks for those bigger, bigger spots, just like you do Alex Reyes. But 
he was warming up because it was looking a little bit dicey for Ponce for a while there. His ERA is over 12 at this point. I think it's the right decision, obviously, to take him out of the rotation, but I, I know this guy can be electric when he's got his fastball working, but when you don't have your fastball working and it's the only pitch you throw, because for some reason that's really kind of been his only pitch he's thrown this season, uh, it's it's not really going to lead to good results. He was able to get away with it in the first start that he had, but you saw in the last start didn't go that way, and certainly tonight did not go that way in relief. But we'll wait and see what that looks like. Kwon Young Kim is rejoining the rotation. That's kind of why Ponce was able to move to the bullpen. They optioned Oviedo out when they brought up Whitley. Uh, nothing to be alarmed at with regard to Oviedo being optioned out. It's honestly probably better for him in the long run because they're going to have him in the rotation is what that means. They're just not ready for it yet because they've still got some off days coming up. But once they hit that stretch, I think it starts on April 23rd where it's like 17 games in 17 days, 14 of which are at Bush, by the way. That's when they're, I think, going to go to that sixth starter, and that's going to be Johan Oviedo unless something changes between now and then, which it certainly could. But Saturday is going to be the game, the return and the season debut of Kwon Young Kim. Lefty getting back into the Cardinals rotation. John Gant, for now, is holding steady to that number five spot after uh, kind of an average performance yesterday. But, again, he's he talks about being a blue-collar pitcher, and I guess when you look at his, his box scores, he's been able to kind of solidify that. And just it's not pretty necessarily, but he's he's been able to keep his team in games uh, to the best of his ability. So, We'll see what Miles Michaelis looks like. I think he's still a little bit away, but that could be a, a situation where Gant could lose his job in the rotation to, to Michaelis down the road if he's able to, to get back to the Cardinals. Oviedo, though, to me, especially if you give him that kind of 17-day stretch where you figure he'll get three starts or so, maybe two two starts, depending on where the Cardinals are in the rotation when they factor him in, Um you know, I, I think he's a guy that could definitely become a, a name to watch as the season goes along. It wouldn't surprise me if a few months from now he's one of the five in the rotation, you know, because injuries are going to happen and underperformance is going to happen and things will take place that we don't know about yet. I just think with what we saw from him in his first outing, I'd like to see a little bit more because you knew he was a guy that had some juice last year, but it was a little bit limited because of the raw nature of his talent. He just hadn't done it before hadn't been able to experience what that looks like at the big league level and definitely was a guy who relied too much on just two pitches. And he admitted it himself. He was a fastball slider guy last year, and now he feels a lot more confident in the curveball, more confident in the changeup. And so I'm interested to see how that's going to play if he gets into a potential starting role. So he's not here right now, but he wasn't going to pitch anyway for the next couple of days after throwing almost five innings a few days ago. So, or I shouldn't say a few days ago. That was Sunday. And so two days ago, you figure that's basically putting him on a starter's workload. So he wouldn't have been available for the Cardinals anyway. Cody Whitley was and gave him two innings tonight. So all's well that ends well. Cardinals in a much better spot when they go to bed on Tuesday evening than uh, the way things look after Monday. But that's going to wrap things up here for this edition of B-Shape Daily. I appreciate you guys, as always, for sticking with me through the show. And there's going to be times where I say things and I'm like, Man, earlier I meant to talk about this, and I even think I teased it, but I never brought it up. Make sure you're calling me out, guys. Send me a direct message on Twitter at bshafer12, or better yet, call me out in a voice message and say, hey, here's a topic I want to hear you discuss. You even said at one point you were gonna, but then you forgot like an idiot. Do it, and I will. So all you have to do for that is anchor.fm slash bshafer12 slash message, 
and you can record your own voice calling me an idiot or whatever it is you want to do. Preferably not too much of that. I, I do have a self, self-esteem to maintain. But talk about the Cardinals, ask questions, whatever y'all want to talk about. It's your show, and uh, glad to keep doing it as the season goes along. Make sure to catch up, too, with some of my articles over at KMOV.com slash sports. Um, you know, do a little writing, do a little talking. We'll have a good summer talking about Cardinals baseball. So appreciate you guys once again, and uh, we're going to wrap things up here. What did I say? Do the subscription thing. That's what I didn't mention yet. You know what to do. If you're listening to this podcast and you haven't subscribed, what's wrong with you, first of all? Second of all, go ahead and do it. If it's Spotify, that's really easy and accessible. Same with Apple Podcasts if you have an iPhone. Google Podcasts is another avenue a lot of people like to use. So just pick one and stick with it, would you? Or subscribe on all three. I don't care. All right. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace.